Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, providing knowledge that is moving medicine forward. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and joining me to discuss current management of ventricular arrhythmias is Dr. William Maddox. He's a cardiac electrophysiologist and an associate professor at UAB Medicine. Dr. Maddox, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. As we get into this topic, speak first about the prevalence of ventricular tachycardia. Could be a dangerous and many times deadly arrhythmia. Speak about what you've been seeing in the trends. Sure. Thank you for having me. So ventricular tachycardia is an arrhythmia that we're seeing with an increasing prevalence in our population here specifically and population as a whole as our patients have many comorbid conditions like hypertension, diabetes, and especially coronary artery disease and heart failure. One of the things that goes along with that are ventricular arrhythmias. And so, especially in the South here, where we have quite a bit of patients with coronary disease, we see quite a bit of atrial fibrillation. And as the population ages, I anticipate that that's going to continue to get more prevalent. I agree with you. And as we're talking to other providers, speak about the clinical presentation. Dr. Maddox, some of the symptoms of the hemodynamically unstable ventricular tachycardia, what are they looking for? Hemodynamically unstable VT is a truly medical emergency. These patients are many times presenting with chest pain, shortness of breath, it may be with syncope or presyncopal symptoms, and usually they're presenting to an emergency medical setting. These patients need intervention very quickly or they can decompensate and it can be a life-threatening arrhythmia. Is there screening? Dr. Maddox, and if so, when would that be indicated? Screening is tough in these patients. Certainly, we understand that in patients with structural heart disease, there are patients who are at increased risk for ventricular arrhythmias and ventricular tachycardia. And generally, that's going to be patients with ejection fractions of less than 35%, either in the face of coronary disease in ischemic cardiomyopathy or in dilated or non-ischemic cardiomyopathies. And so in those patients, as you would for management of their heart failure, you're going to get routine echocardiograms as well as EKGs. But screening in the asymptomatic patient isn't something that we would recommend outside of the general EKG that you're going to get in the course of just their general treatment. There certainly are other reasons why people may have ventricular tachycardia, including some of the channelopathies as well as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or other things. And in those patients, it can be important to screen the patients either with EKGs or with longer telemetry monitoring, especially if they're having any symptoms of either syncope or presyncope or if they're presenting with palpitations at all. I understand, Dr. Maddox, this is a pretty broad discussion that we're having, whether we're talking about electrical, circulatory, or structural disorders. I'd like you to give sort of an overview, brief overview, of therapies available. You can start with medical interventions and move on from there, but give us a brief overview of what you do. So VT, which is our acronym in electrophysiology and how we refer to it, there's quite a variety of patients who present with ventricular tachycardia. And depending on what their underlying cardiac comorbidities might be, the approach might be very different. In a patient who has what we call idiopathic ventricular tachycardia, which would be VT in an otherwise structurally normal heart, those patients many times can respond well to medical therapy with beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, particularly verapamil in some patients with right ventricular outflow tract tachycardias. Our antiarrhythmic drugs in patients with otherwise normal hearts 
are pretty wide open. That would include the 1C antiarrhythmics like flecainide or propafenone, sodalol, in some, and of course, amiodarone is kind of our 800-pound gorilla that is pretty darn effective but has a whole host of long-term problems with multiple organ systems, and so we try to avoid that as we can. In patients who have structural heart disease, and that's kind of a, an umbrella term where I'm talking about patients with both non-ischemic and ischemic cardiomyopathy as well as hypertrophic myopathy or valvular heart disease that might be significant, those patients generally are at a higher risk of sudden cardiac death with ventricular tachycardia, and our treatment modalities are going to be more important in both primary prevention for patients who are at high risk and in secondary prevention for patients who have already presented with VT or possibly sudden cardiac arrest. That can, from a medical medication standpoint, can certainly include the antiarrhythmics, and many times we're trying to decrease the burden of arrhythmia and stop someone from getting shocked if they have a defibrillator. One of the mainstays of treatment for VT in a patient with structural heart disease would be an implantable cardiac defibrillator. This is something that's quite common now and, and that we see it. We have both transvenous systems that can be implanted in, in either the left or the right subclavicular area on the anterior chest wall, and there's also a subcutaneous ICD that can be implanted in the mid-axillary space under the left arm with a lead that's tunneled under the skin and then lies just lateral to the sternum. In patients who have ventricular tachycardia that has been recalcitrant to medical therapy, these patients are excellent candidates for catheter ablation. And this is a therapy that has certainly become more favorable as our tools for being able to map the ventricular tachycardia circuits in the heart have gotten so much better. And our delivery tools for energy to the heart to be able to ablate and cauterize these areas that are problematic has gotten better. It's something that's quite common now. And in any given week, I'll probably do three to four VT ablations. I know that I'll do two tomorrow. The success rate of VT ablation can be heterogeneous depending on what the patient's substrate is with Success rates as high in the mid to high 90% in patients with idiopathic VT down to patients with infiltrative cardiomyopathies or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or arrhythmogenic dysplasia where those patients have a high rate of recurrence. What about secondary prevention of VT? So the mainstay of treatment for secondary prevention in patients with any structural heart disease is that we want to get a defibrillator in them. These patients many times have presented with aborted sudden cardiac arrest, either to an emergency setting or occasionally they may show up in our clinics. And we'll intervene acutely on the arrhythmia, but then we want to prevent the next episode. And so these patients will all be offered an implantable defibrillator. And then these defibrillators have the ability to deliver energy and shock the patient out of an arrhythmia should they ever have one. And the transvenous systems also have the ability to be able to use algorithms to pace the patient out of ventricular tachycardia if they have it with a pretty high level of success. For stable ventricular arrhythmias or monomorphic ventricular arrhythmias, antitachycardia pacing can be successful 50 to 70% of the time. And this limits the amount of shocks that the patient gets. And many times they may have VT and not ever know that they had an arrhythmia and show up in my clinic for a routine follow-up. And we know that they'd had an arrhythmia sometimes two or three months earlier. Dr. Maddox, while we've been talking about antiarrhythmic therapy and implantable cardioverter, defibrillators, all of these things you're discussing, 
These are the mainstays of therapy and well-managed by someone such as yourself, a cardiac electrophysiologist. There are many other facets in the care of these patients, such as heart failure management, treatment of comorbidities that you were mentioning, aesthetic interventions where expertise of other specialists is really essential for optimal patient care. Can you speak about that coordinated team approach and how it's essential to achieve the best possible outcomes for these complex patients? Sure. I think that that's incredibly important in our patient population that seems to be getting more complex by the day. As an example, my clinic is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and two doors down are my heart failure colleagues, and we work hand-in-hand in in treating these patients, and there's many times in clinic that they'll grab me and ask me to come in and interrogate a device and make some changes or make some recommendations on antiarrhythmic drugs. On the other hand, when I see patients in my clinic and they obviously are having difficulty with fluid management or heart failure symptoms, it's not infrequent for me to find my heart failure colleagues and talk about seeing them that day and helping me manage their loop diuretics or other things to help manage their heart failure. I think that VT from an electrophysiologist standpoint is an electrical problem, but in the patients in the broader sense, this certainly has everything to do with heart failure management and the hemodynamics to help make sure that the patient doesn't have either more VT or if they do have VT, that they're better able to tolerate it. And that really is the main point, isn't it? So I'd like you to wrap up by telling other providers the importance of early referral for VT ablation, how it can reduce ICD shocks, improve patient outcomes, including mortality. Wrap it up with your best advice and key takeaways. Sure. So I think that many times we see VT in my specialty and especially at a tertiary care center like I have, and I've seen them, and they've been managed with antiarrhythmic drugs for a significant amount of time with multiple shocks, and by the time they get to me, they've been shocked multiple times and sometimes have significant hemodynamic consequences from their untreated arrhythmia. And I'd like everybody to think about the first time that you think about referring a patient to your electrophysiologist for consideration of ablation should be the first time you see VT. And it doesn't mean that your EP is going to take everybody to the lab, but that's the first time I want to start having the conversation with the patient. And there's been recent data that have shown that patients have better outcomes with less shocks and live longer and stay out of the hospital if we intervene on these arrhythmias sooner rather than waiting until we have failure of multiple antiarrhythmics. That's a great point, and thank you so much, Dr. Maddox, for joining us today, sharing your expertise for other providers with us. And a physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST, or you can always visit our website at uabmedicine.org slash physician. That concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. For updates on the latest medical advancements, breakthroughs, and research, follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole.